Today we're talking about the factors that can impact our listeners' pursuit of lifelong learning. Take quality improvement education, which really is about system improvement and the education behind it. So how might that system approach impact the education that our listeners seek? We're here today to explore this. Welcome to another segment of Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and with me today is Scott Weber, CEO of MedIQ, an ACCME accredited provider of medical education, and also ACPE and CBRN accredited. His company has core expertise in developing quality improvement education and performance improvement education. Welcome, Scott. We're glad you could join us. Thank you, Alicia. Nice to be here. Let's take a kind of a big global picture of quality improvement and give me your insights on that. What's a kind of a big picture for our listeners who clearly they are medical professionals who have to operate and then perform in the field and quality is always a measurement, but what is quality improvement education? I think the 30,000 foot perspective on this is that from an educator's point of view is we've never really had the opportunity that we have coming up to truly align certified continuing medical education along with quality improvement, performance improvement. I think with the Affordable Care Act and the national quality standards, this is a real opportunity for us to make a difference with certified CME, and I think you know the opportunity is now. I think what we're doing here at this conference and where this trend is going is that we as CME providers are really going to need to step up our game and be able to get our arms around how to develop and deliver quality and performance improvement education. Quality improvement can mean different things to different people. Some people think it's education. Some think it's research. Some think it's the system. How do you see it evolving? One of our biggest challenges we have to overcome is is the the taxonomy, the a dictionary, if you will, on all of these terms. And so here's really what it is. From a performance improvement standpoint, we look at performance improvement at the individual level. Whether it's a physician or pharmacist or nurse, it's at, a, at an individual performance level. Quality improvement is more of a system or team-based approach. So we're trying to deliver training and education that ultimately is going to impact the patient care team and ultimately the practice within the system and certainly the system itself. Where I think we get caught up is there was a lot of discussion early on around what role does CME have at the table here? Because for whatever reason, I think a lot of folks thought that CME was strictly around knowledge and competency-based type of education and that we really didn't have a seat at the table. I think what people are realizing is that through innovative design and understanding principles of quality-based education and that this isn't just a webcast or a live symposia or the things that we always do in a knowledge and competency-based environment, those don't necessarily work in a performance or quality environment. And so when we're trying to make quality or systems-based changed, we've got to go and look at what are the specific barriers that are facing those systems and develop the education from the inside out, not the traditional from the outside in. And I think that's what a lot of providers have to get their arms around, and it's going to be necessary, I think, in order for this to be successful. On the individual level, which you'd mentioned, obviously, which is more of the inside out. Do you think that PICME or performance improvement CME is on the inside coming out? Is it on the individual level or is that more of a system level? So the performance improvement models that if you look at the AMA construct and PICME, so we all went down that path for the past few years. Depending on who you talk to, if you take people's temperatures, you'll see people have a lot of different visceral reactions to whether we were successful in that space or not. And I think what's important is that, and I've always said this, that the AMA PI construct was is almost like sort of the cars of the future. You know when you go to a car show in, in Detroit and they put out the futuristic cars that roll out, right? And you really can't drive that car 
But there are aspects of it that are really important that you'll be seeing in future designs of new automobiles that are coming off the assembly line. And I think that the AMAPI construct is just that. It is that concept car, and maybe in its full execution of that model, there are some challenges with it just because of, I think, its design. But there are specifics that need to be considered, like the self-reflection, self-analysis piece of that experience where a provider is looking at their own data, they're processing, they're writing their own implementation plans of how they're going to improve. Those are the assets that I think of the AMAPI construct that really work at an individual level. But we have to think about performance improvement at an individual level very differently and get outside of the construct and bring some new ideas of how we affect change at an individual level. We're seeing it all the time, not just in the work that MedIQ does, but our colleagues in this space, both the medical education companies, the academic medical centers, and the societies, where they're figuring out new models to improve performance when they stop and listen to what the physicians, the individuals need and want. If we build this from the outside because we are, quote-unquote, smarter than the physicians, we're going to fail. We have to get in at the frontline perspective and hear what the gaps and needs and the barriers are, what is preventing change and growth and improvement at the individual level, and build it from that vantage point, not from the outside being prescriptive, telling them what they need to do. That's excellent. And actually, your analogy of the car show makes total sense because you're right. The AMA construct did provide the platform for the individual physician or clinician to take a look at what he or she was doing in practice, and you could get data from it. And now we're going to be looking at it from the system. So what do you think some of those data sources are at this point on the system side? Well, so we hear a lot, obviously, about EMRs, and we hear a lot about claims data and registries. And so I think all of that is very, very important. I think, though, when you look at the individual performance, what we have found at both an individual performance level and even at the system level, is that any change that can be made is not sustainable over a period of time if it's not done within a culture of quality. And what I mean by that is you can change, individual physicians can change performance and make significant and clinical gains in in whatever measures, whatever specific measures are being tested out. But if the practice is not a practice that has a culture of quality, or if the system itself, from the top down, from the C-suites, is not advocating and pushing quality throughout the organization, all of those gains fall off because there's nothing there to sustain it. And so as educators in this space, we've got to make certain that we're not only looking at clinical performance measures and the national quality standards as measures, but we have to look at the culture of communication and how the teams are interacting in order for any change that we make to actually stick and be sustainable over time. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Alicia Sutton, and I'm speaking with Scott Weber from MedIQ, and we're talking about quality improvement education. Scott, where do you see some changes that our listeners could put in place? So let me say, obviously the listeners are clinicians, so therefore they are always on the lifelong pursuit of education, but they're also educators themselves in their practices, whether it's a small practice or a large, an ACO, a system. So how could those who don't have QI initiatives in place now start to influence the education that they are working on to bring QI in, particularly if they don't have a QI department? I think the challenge at the provider level and at the system level is getting quality and performance as a priority. And and it's not to say that physicians are not treating patients without thinking about quality. It's the incentives the carrots and the sticks around performance and quality are just now coming online. So that's why I was saying earlier, there's this alignment that the education that we've been delivering over the past five years 
The reason it's been challenging in the performance and quality environment and getting the participation is there have been no incentives or carrots and sticks in place for it to matter. So at an individual clinician level and even at a system level, they have so many priorities. Getting them to want to focus on this as a single priority can be very difficult. Now, with the Affordable Care Act and lots of other external forces taking place, it's now becoming a priority. And what we have to do, our responsibility is to be able to respond and have the tools and resources and the education available for them to make that change. So do you think lifelong learning and the construct of QI is going to be a much more collaborative process with all the stakeholders? Or do you think there's a stakeholder group that might stand out and kind of lead the pack? That's a great question, and and it's something I'm really passionate about because for years we've talked about how the CME enterprise, all the stakeholders, need to find better ways to collaborate. And so you remember these conversations, and we would hear great success stories, and then we would hear the horror stories. And now I think we've learned how to work through the chemistry with the right collaboration and bringing partners together that have certain assets and expertise that others don't have. It's never been more critical because as an education provider, we only have so many tools and resources at our disposal. And we have to partner with those who have the system. We have to partner with those who have the technology. We have to partner with those who truly understand how to develop and deliver performance and quality-based training and education. So I don't think that there's any one group or segment of the CME enterprise that's going to stand out ahead of anyone else. This is the time for collaboration. So a lot of the work that we're doing is we're bringing our expertise into relationships with the academic medical center community and specialty societies because they have the access, they have the data through registries and their own internal EMR platforms, and we're bringing in the resources to help make the changes that are necessary from a QI or a PI point of view. So it's, it's never been more important than it is right now, and I think it's critical to the success moving forward that we are able to collaborate. I think that's a very valid point. Collaboration has changed over the years. And there has been at least one stakeholder that's been missing, I think, for a while. You probably would agree that the patient as the stakeholder in influencing how education is put together has been kind of a silent but much more growing voice. Do you see that more these days? I'm about to jump out of the radio right now because here's the thing that CBI did a presentation on why we matter in the CME community. And I said, can you imagine if we started every session, every meeting that we, where we got together, and instead of opening remarks, we had physicians and pharmacists and nurses and patients up front telling us why we matter, okay? Not me telling you why we matter, but let's have patients who are being treated by physicians who are participating in the activities that we develop and deliver and talk about their experience with their health care provider and their experience as a caregiver taking care of their family. We say that patients are our priority, Mm -hmm. yet we've not been able to bring them to the forefront. And I give our industry, I give the enterprise a lot of credit. We're starting to see now where patients are part of faculty, which is something that we're really proud of at MedIQ integrating the patient voice into education, making them part of faculty so that when an activity is delivered to a room full of healthcare providers, immediately activated from an emotional point of view, they're plugged in and everything that comes after, they're going to absorb and be able to apply when you bring the patient into the room versus a panel of faculty of like-minded physicians that are all talking about the same thing. Patients make the difference. We're not there yet, but I think we're moving down that path. When it comes to quality and performance improvement, I think it's critical, again, now more than ever, that they are the focus point. I say to everybody, when you're developing education, put a picture of your family on your desk because they're patients, and think about them as you're developing your education. How do you want them to be treated by the provider, right? 
Develop the education with that person in mind, and you can't go wrong. They're the end customer, if you will, of everything that we're doing. Very valid point, absolutely, because it does focus on the patient who's been the recipient of health care and turns them into the influencers of good health care education. And Alicia, the other point around this is, as somebody passionate about our industry and the work that we do, because I know we make a difference, I see our data, I see other organizations' data sets, we're making a difference. But if you get outside of the CME enterprise, most people don't know what we do. We always joke Mm -hmm. around, have you ever tried to tell somebody what you do for a living, right? So true. The moment that we figure out that if we can advocate to the patients what we do and we get them to understand and then ultimately become our advocates, I think that the whole concept of why we matter takes on brand new meaning. And I think it's then believable that this enterprise is truly going to be able to make a difference with quality and performance improvement education. Scott, thank you. Thank you for your insights today. You've been very, very generous with giving us some great things to think about with quality improvement. This is Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. I'm Alicia Sutton, and you've been listening to Scott Weber as we talked about QI, quality improvement education. Thank you for joining us.